Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And I'm Scott Peterson. And this is episode 10 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit more about some technical things, starting off with technology in particular. Scott has been working on a, a couple of project ideas with uh, Python and Pandas that uh, he's going to talk about and wants to get your feedback on apl possible applications and requests from you guys. I want to talk a little bit about the CBQZ application, uh, not just the website, uh, cbqz.org, but the actual web-based uh, web service. Uh, that's on there for Bible quizzing, predominantly intended for officials and for coaches, but uh, it turns out a fair number of quizzers are using it as well. And so I want to talk about a little bit about the current functionality of that and the future functionality. And then we will move from there into a very interesting topic. What makes a key verse an actual key verse? And, and how, what's the process for uh, choosing one key verse over another? And how are those things linked together in terms of like singles versus doubles and that sort of stuff? And then we want to spend a little bit of time doing a, a question writing workshop where we talk about a little bit about um, how to write questions, how to write bad questions and good questions. Then there's all sorts of theoretical concepts that uh, we can walk through and sort of edge cases that we can talk about. But we figured we'd start by going through on a practical level with first, uh, first Corinthians chapter one and just write a few questions right in the podcast live and then go from there. Uh, and of course, a reminder that uh, the Madras meet is this coming Friday. So with that, let's uh, start off with the first topic, which is Scott's work on Python and Pandas. So uh, Scott, take it away. Thanks, Griffin. So I'm learning a programming language called Python, and I specifically want to use that programming language to work with data, both uh, in a work sense and in a personal sense. And I've been using Python to do personal stuff, which is Bible quizzing. And the Python pro programming language has a cool library called Pandas. And the library is just kind of um, pre-written functions and things that you can do that someone else has already made that I can just use. And Pandas makes it really easy to deal with data and do cool analysis on it. And so one, um, one big data set that I've been keeping for about five to seven years now, I call it Project, but it's... From every quiz within PNW, every quiz and every quizzer has a row or a data point. And so because of that, I can slice and dice data by quizzer or by team or by church or quiz master or prelim versus consolation. And I can tell you all kinds of stuff, like what is a, a certain quizzer's average in prelims and what's their average in all semifinals or what's their average in Scott's room and what's their average in Abby's room. Um, and I can say for a given church, which quizzer has gotten the most third or fourth person bonuses for a given church? What's their accuracy on bonus questions? And there's a lot of different ways to um, analyze the data, which can help you in quizzing. If you find that among all prelim quizzes, a certain quizzer does way worse in one quiz master's room than the others, maybe that's something to talk about and just um, have a conversation about why do you think that is? Is it their cadence? Is it their personality? Is it their questions that they ask? Is it how they rule? Um, and just have those types of question, type, types of conversations with your quizzer. They can help them be a better quizzer. What do you think, Griffin? 
I think that's awesome. Um, and uh, I've I've been you know nagging Scott a little bit on and off about making his content uh, you know open source publishing it to GitHub or something like that at some point. Uh, but anybody who is interested in that. Uh, pester Scott uh, about uh, what you can get out of that data. I think it's very interesting stuff. So, I mean, uh, Scott, what kind of questions and what sort of applications are you interested in and what kind of like requests from coaches and quizzers are you, are you looking for? Well, right now it's really just an Excel document and then there really isn't a program that I've written in Python that's in a state that people can run and really use. But I know that there's already one program leader who asked me for the data and has um, – worked with the data right within the Excel document and created pivot tables for all of the quizzers at their church and analyzed it. And so if any coaches or officials are comfortable with Excel and how to move data around, you can totally have the data and analyze it to your heart's content. Uh, But also if you have a specific question about um, a quizzer's accuracy compared year over year or um, things of that nature, just go ahead and ask me and I can often find out the answer for you and it'll give me practice in learning Python and pandas and uh, yeah. All right. Awesome stuff. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about is the CBQZ application. Uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about it in uh, pod, uh, podcasts of the past, but mostly just at a high level uh, on the CBQZ website. So cbqz.org, if uh, on the menu somewhere, if you click on the application, link, you can get to uh, the CBQZ app, which conveniently is located at cbqz.org slash app, uh, A-P-P, um, because I lack imagination to come up with a better URL. But um, basically on that app, it's basically software as a service. It's a... Um, it's a quizzing application that's intended for originally intended for officials and you know quiz masters and and coaches and so forth but it has been expanded quite a bit to be usable by a lot of different folks for a lot of different use cases so one of the things that you can do on there there's a questions editor where you can write out your questions and you can mark up questions for in various different ways uh, there's qu- the the quiz room itself where you take uh, information from the editor and you can run uh, quizzes. The system itself goes through all your questions and generates quizzes for you, and you can track those quizzes uh, through, you know, correct and errors and no jumps and so forth. There's also uh, all of the material, the color-coded uh, materials that are made available both on the PNW website and also on the CBQZ website. All of those materials are, well, the reference materials um, are made available via the CBQZ app itself. But a little bit more interestingly, they can be used directly within the editor or within the quiz room itself. So as you're writing questions, you can actually pull in color-coded content so that your questions and your answers that you're writing actually consist of color-coded content from the material reference, which, I don't know, for, for me as a quiz master, uh, that becomes a really helpful thing, especially when you're talking about, say, blue words, the unique words that are uh, required to get uh, uh, perfect uh, or recited by the, the quizzer within the time allotted. Uh, that sort of stuff, that kind of markup helps me a little bit. 
and sometimes can help me a lot. There's also different types of things like red words are uh, words that are key to the chapter and green words are two word key phrases and so forth. There's also a, a material lookup like a search uh, tool that's all embedded in all of this kind of stuff and a lot of other little, you know, heuristics and kind of fun gizmos and gadgets when you're in a quiz room and if you're running a quiz, whether like let's say you're a coach and you're running a quiz, if you encounter a question that you don't particularly like, you can hit mark uh, mark for edit later, and it's just kind of a little button that flags that question as something that you can mark up later or, or you can edit later back in the editor. So that way if you encounter a poor question or, or a question that's confusing or you, you see a typo or something, you can say, okay, great, I'll, I'll correct that later, click on it, and move on uh, with the quiz. And uh, let's see, I've been using CBQZ myself in my room uh I think all of this season, it's based on an older program that I wrote some 20-something years ago that I had been using uh, last year and then obviously in previous years. Uh, but this so CBQZ is, um, call it, I don't know, probably six months old, actually maybe a little bit longer than that. It might be nine months old at this point. Uh, and certainly very interested in having folks, uh, prov uh, you know, use it out and provide feedback. It is an open source project. It's available on GitHub. Um, if you want to throw in tickets or, or issues or, or feature requests, very open to that. In terms of current functionality, uh, it's kind of like what I was talking about, you know, an edit, predominantly an editor and a quiz room and a material reference and a material search and that sort of stuff. But in, in future functionality, currently the, the product is on version 14. I'm working on uh, version 15 right now. Version 15 makes available uh, scorekeeping and stats uh, sort of stuff. It doesn't do quite the level of stats uh, stuff that uh, Scott's uh, Python stuff does, but it, uh, the intent is for it to be able to sort of auto collect scorekeeping data uh, so if you're if you're a coach running a quiz uh, you should be able to use it to auto uh, record data like that and then pull some summary uh, statistics together at the end of a series of practices to see where folks are doing well or poorly and where improvements could be made. Uh, and then we also got a feature request in, I think just today, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, uh, a quizzer uh, emailed uh, uh, asking for uh, functionality in terms of like a flashcard option. So you write a bunch of questions and the editor and and instead of going to the quiz room, like a coach or a quiz master might to uh, provide the question and read the answer, it'll actually just show the question and you can have the opportunity to uh, think up the answer, recite the answer, and then click on a button to reveal the answer and almost like a flashcard sort of utility. And of course, um, this is web-based, so you can use pretty much any modern web browser and it'll work just fine. And uh, it does work on screens as small as a cell phone, although for some of the pages, uh, things can get a little bit cramped, but it is entirely usable. Uh, so one of the things I want to try to get done before Great West or before the initial start of the road trip to Great West is I'd like to try to get the uh, flashcard uh, application portion of it uh, completed so that folks can actually use it on their cell phones uh, during the Great West, Great West uh, trek uh, to the Great White North. Very cool, Griffin. I've used it myself and... Um, I love all the functionality that it provides. Well, so yeah, next topic. Um, let's move on to what makes a key verse a key verse. So Scott, what makes a key verse a key verse? Well, it's widely open to interpretation, which is what exactly what we're going to talk about. So starting um, talking about finish the verse questions in general and coming right from the rule book, 
I wanted to read the first three um, points that are the definition of finish the verse questions. They will be direct quotes from scripture and must be quoted word perfect. It must be strong enough to stand on its own without requiring additional verses to explain it, must be of spiritual value, or be significant to the chapter. So when I read these specifications or requirements for a finish the verse question, they're quite different from other question types, like direct quotes from scripture, quoted word perfect. Um, That's not the case for any reference question or multiple answer or interrogative. Must be strong enough to stand on its own without requiring additional verses to explain it. Um, besides quote questions, which are all also fall under the umbrella of key verse questions, but besides that, besides quotes, no other type has any kind of wording about being strong enough to stand on its own. Um, must be of spiritual value or be significant to the chapter. Again, this is language completely specific to finish the verse and quote questions. So in my mind, when I was reading the rule book, there seems to be a desire for these types of questions to be special to some degree. Um, and by saying that it must be strong enough to stand on its own without requiring additional verses to explain it, I think it's implied that there are going to be verses in the material that are not strong enough to stand on their own and to need additional verses to explain them, which would make them not valid for finish the verse questions. So because of that, I think that whoever is selecting um, the verses that will be used for key, finish the verse and quote questions, which I'm calling key verse questions, whoever is selecting those verses should have that kind of idea in mind. Like, there is some amount of specialness given to these types of questions. And so I think it it's it follows logically that not every verse in the material is valid or meant to be used on a key verse question. What do you think about that, Griffin? I totally agree, 100%. Now, that helps us out some. Okay, I shouldn't use all the verses. So I'm looking... Um, at the verses and how well they stand on their own and how spiritually significant they are when I'm when I'm saying, should I write this as a finish the verse or a quote question? Now, some people will say, this is God's word, it's God-breathed, and every verse is spiritually significant. And I would say, yes, to a certain degree, every verse is spiritually significant. But, but for the purposes of Bible quizzing, I think it's clear here in the definition of these question types that some verses are meant to be elevated above others in a relative sense. Um, and so I think it's the question writer's job to identify which verses um, are best elevated above the others. And I don't think that there is a one, like a um, perfect percentage or ratio of the material that you should use on um, on finish the verse or quote questions. It's not like I think you should pick the 20% of the material that is the most spiritually significant or the 70%. Because um, I think year to year, there's going to be differences in the type of material and the language that's used in the verses. But I think you should really give thought to, do I think this verse stands on its own? Do I think it has significant spiritual value? Um, and I think the argument that all verses have spiritual value is kind of a lazy argument, because um, I don't think that's at all why this question type was created. Um, It's not saying that some verses don't have spiritual value, uh, but it's saying that some have more spiritual value than other verses. Now, thinking about why was this type even created, um, I really don't know, so I can only ruminate. But I would think that when Bible quizzing was created, it was with the knowledge that there are going to be all kinds of participants. Some participants might memorize the whole material. Some might memorize a single verse. Some might memorize 20 verses. But if we create these 
question types specifically on a subset of the material, we encourage quizzers who aren't going to memorize the whole material to memorize these verses first. We're kind of making it slightly easier by pre-picking these. Um, and if we're, as long as we're pre-picking some verses, why not pick the ones that we feel have the most spiritual significance? What do you think of that logical thought, Griffin? Yeah, same thing. I completely agree. I mean, as a pastor and a theologian and as a Bible translator, um, although not a massively, you know, I'm not massively prolific in my translation. I've only translated a couple of the very small, um, well, more than a couple, but only a handful of the very small books of the New Testament from, from the Greek. But uh, there are indeed verses that are sort of, they stand alone, they stand apart, they're, they're key. I, I, I use the same terminology in my brain that the quizzing uses there they sort of stand up they stand alone uh they can be they they can go on the front of a hallmark card i mean i i, I don't know if that makes any sense but there there are those verses and then there are the the other verses that are they're not spiritually insignificant but they need to be read within context they need they they don't necessarily stand out on their own they're incredibly important every every word of uh, the, every word that is in the bible is in, incredibly important and, and incredibly powerful um it's just that the verse in and of itself doesn't really make a lot of sense by itself it needs to be put into context uh, connected with other verses that sort of stuff uh, key verses, in a way, stand out on their own. And similar to what you were talking about, it's one of those things where certainly, ideally, I would want every quizzer to memorize every verse of every chapter. Uh, that's the ideal. That's what I certainly want to encourage every quizzer to go after. And what I think a lot of quizzers can go after, and some quizzers do go after, and that's fantastic. But I'm also realistic to understand that not every quizzer is going to go after that, that ideal. And uh, not every quizzer may feel that they have the capability to go after that ideal. Although I think, uh, as a side note, uh, quizzers can, uh, quizzers pretty much always can do more than what they think they are capable of actually. Um, so I want to certainly encourage you if you're a quizzer and thinking, well, I don't think I could memorize, uh, you know, every chapter, every word of every chapter. I, I think you can. Um, I encourage you to think that, that, that you can do that. But anyway, so because we're not necessarily going after the ideal, or I mean, we're striving for the ideal, but knowing that we may not necessarily reach the ideal, what are the verses that I want to get written on the hearts of quizzers that will come back to them uh, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and they can use that, and the power of the Holy Spirit can invoke the the illumination through those words. And that's kind of what, the, in my mind, uh, sets apart these key verses amongst the others. Yeah, I I think that that's um the best way to treat these verses. But very quickly we get into one of the hardest things when writing a rule book. So, if finish the verse and quote questions were really created with um the full range of quizzing participants in mind, well when we get to a specific competition like internationals where the vast majority of quizzers have memorized the whole material, um some parts of the rule book may end up misguided isn't the right word, but um you're kind of trying to put um, a round peg into a square hole um, in some cases. And I think key verse questions is one case because they're really meant to be the first verses that a quizzer who's not going to memorize the whole material should memorize. But at internationals, when the vast majority of quizzers know the whole material, it's kind of weird to then test them on a subset of the material. And I think that's why some districts take the approach of 
at internationals, I think every verse should be eligible to be a finish the verse or a key verse question. And while I think that that's, you know, that's okay in, in some degrees, I don't think that's what the rule book is intending. And maybe it means we should write a different rule book for internationals type events, like interdistrict events versus um, a single district type event. But I've definitely heard the argument that maybe some verses don't stand on their own very well, but all the quizzers internationals know the whole material, so they understand the context anyway, which shouldn't be the reason that you write a, a poor question, but um, that argument's made. Um, or, yeah, so I think I can see how at internationals, keyverse questions can be a tough thing to figure out how to test when the quizzers do know the whole material. Um, yeah, ahead, so I, I, I see the point. Um, I, I certainly like the idea of, of having different levels. So there's the... The, the the district level, which, uh, you know, let's be realistic, the quizzing exists for the, the quizzing gets the most value for the district. That's where the most value comes from is is the widest number of people memorizing the most number of verses. And that comes from from the district level. But the incentive is uh, the incentive for the the whole thing is are, are events like Great West and internationals. Internationals drives the the program forward, even though we don't necessarily quiz for internationals, we quiz at the district level. So the rule book is going to need is going to be focused on the the. I would think the rule book would need to be focused, and I think it is focused at the district level. So that being said, if you want to say, okay, well, every verse can therefore be key and could be asked as a finish the verse or a quote question at internationals, okay, fine. But then I would feel like you would need to have an addendum or, or some sort of stipulation to that fact in the rule book, because as written, the rule book seems to me to say that no, even at internationals, even though somebody has every verse memorized word perfect, certain verses shouldn't be asked as a quote question. Yep, and I totally agree. I think you should be giving quizzers an appropriate target to shoot for in their studying. And I forgot one bit, and that's for finish the verse and key verse questions, nowhere in the definition does it say that these verses are to be specified in advance, um, like before a competition happens. It's just kind of convention among many districts that they publish their own keyverse list to their district because I assume the thought is if we're wanting quizzers who aren't going to memorize the whole material to memorize these verses first, we should tell them what these verses are so that they don't have to guess. We want to make it as easy as we can for them to memorize these most spiritually significant verses, and I think that makes a ton of sense. That's what we do within Pacific Northwest. Other districts have club verses. Um, there are some districts that don't publish a key verse list, but I think they're more the exception than the rule. So that's what happens within the district. The key verse list is published. Now, when you get to other meets like Great West, um, I assume Winter Nationals, and then especially Internationals, there's no key verse list published. And so when I was a quizzer and when I was coaching Internationals, I always considered that to be part of the study and the preparation where a quizzer looks at the rule book, understands the rule book, understands the material – and goes through the material guessing which verses best fit the language laid out in the rulebook. Um, and so I think it's a pretty poor ex poor experience for a quizzer to do that, for the quizzers that do that kind of work to then get to internationals and have the key verse question come from, um, even if it's unconscious or not stated, a, a much different criteria for key verse questions than what the rulebook lays out. And then, so not to go too far on a tangent here, but... There are certain verses uh, that are, 
I don't know, bordering on obviously not, um, if that's a way to, it, 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 I mean, granted, there's, it's, it, it's very subjective. It's excruciatingly subjective, uh, in a lot of cases, but there are some times where you're reading through and you'll, you'll see, you know, a subordinate clause that tend, that, that's broken out into its own verse or, you know, a, a fraction of a sentence that's broken out into its own verse that if you read just that verse, it, it almost doesn't even make sense. Uh, certainly doesn't stand on its own by any stretch of the imagination. If that were asked as a key verse, is that challengeable? I mean, it's certainly, it's very subjective, but it also seems very obviously against the letter, the black letter of the, of the rule book. Yeah. And so within PNW, when we publish a key verse list, um, it's not challengeable that I think this verse isn't key or another verse should be key, um, because we publish a list. And then I, I've had um, – I was a quiz master at internationals one year, and this was after a few years where I had been a coach, and I had seen what I thought to be just really, really poor key selections. So now when I'm a quiz master, I'm faced with that exact philosophical question. Will I entertain a challenge based on the um, the spiritual significance of a verse? And I kind of decided that no, I wouldn't because of how subjective it is and that um, it – the quiz masters in different rooms could not reliably be expected to be consistent in how they ruled on a challenge that subjective. Um, now, that's not to say that it shouldn't ever be challengeable, um, but that was just kind of the approach that I took. You know, someone had decided what the keyverse questions are going to be. They are the same for every single quizzer in every single room, and I'm not going to apply my subjectivity to change that, even if I think there is a better way, in my opinion. But I have other thoughts. So um, I always thought that the quizzers who do that extra study work should be rewarded. Um, and there have been years where that's not the case. And so I think um, some more thought should be put into how we define keyverse questions and how we communicate the intent to both question writers and to quizzers so that the same general target is being used for both question writers and quizzers. Since I've I've gotten more and more experience writing the rule book and adding to it and amending it, I see how there are many places where it's not good to write a 100% black and white objective rule book rule, which almost sounds counterintuitive. But most often in an attempt to write such a rule, you create unintended consequences and and more corner cases that you never thought of. And so in this case, I'm not in favor of publishing a strict keyverse list in advance of a meet like internationals and all keyverse questions have to come from this list. I'm also not in favor of more and more language defining what a keyverse is, um, but I would be in favor of a wider discussion about the intent and value of these specific question types and then maybe a, a sentence or two written into the rulebook that might even take the place of strong enough to stand on its own and spiritual value or significant to the chapter – but that give question writers and quizzers um, a similar consistent target. And that means that when people are putting in hard work and trying to guess the key verse questions, that there might be 70% overlap with any given question writer or 80% overlap, but not 20% or something super low. Because I think that variation is fine. Um, it makes for an interesting competition. There will always be differences of opinion in how spiritually significant a given verse is. Um, you could probably order every single verse by spiritual significance, um, and everyone would agree on the top 
15% and the bottom 15%, but you have wide um, differences of opinion about the middle 70%, I think that's totally fine. But I think right now, quizzers who specialize on key verses and put in a lot of work are not being rewarded for their study in internationals, and it's a poor experience for them, and it dissuades them from studying these question types, which are the the only two types um, that test word-perfect quoting of the material. But there are some other aspects about key verse questions that I wanted to dive into. So we're talking about finish the verse questions specifically here. So there are four kind of subtypes or forms. So there's finish the verse, finish this, finish this in the next, and finish these two verses. So finish the verse, just it's a single verse. It starts at the beginning, and the quizzer has to finish it. And a finish these two verses is a pair of verses. Um, the, the question is read from the beginning of one verse, and the quizzer has to finish that verse and then the next verse. So um, it's relatively new that we have finished these two verses, I think, within the last decade. And when this came about, we don't have the full um, liner notes and footnotes about why this was added. But I just assumed that um, there are cases where sentences kind of run into the next verse or it's an awkward verse break. And the meaning would be awesome if we could combine these two verses. Um, let's see here. First Corinthians 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Verse 20. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Well, it's, you know, it probably wouldn't be the greatest to sort of finish the verse with, and again, the Lord knows, but it's great when combined with verse 19. And so the way I interpreted it was if two verses work better as a pair than either of the verses on their own, it should be written as a finish these two verses. I have heard other interpretations. Um, one interpretation that I've heard is if the second verse in a pair is quote unquote ineligible to be a, a finish the verse because it's not spiritually significant or not doesn't stand on its own, then that's a case where you write it as a finish of these two verses. But you should only be writing finish these two verses when the second verse wouldn't be written as a finish the verse by itself. And that's a more specific way of looking at it. Um, I've heard some think that if you write a pair of verses as a finish these two, you shouldn't write either as a finish the verse. And I always just try to come back to what is the best test of the material. I think it could totally be that verse one of a chapter is strong, doesn't need extra verses to explain it, and you write it as a finish the verse. And it can also be that when verse two is added, they work great as a pair. So you might write verses one and two as a finish these two, and verse one is a plain finish the finish the verse. Any thoughts, Griffin? No, um, I mean, I mean, I pretty much agree with what you're saying. I tend to lean towards the latter view than the former. No, wait, the former view rather than the latter. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I I lean towards the view that uh, I tend to look for two versed key questions as being a unified thought that spans two verses. So, I, I mean, a great example, you know, from First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Uh, it's one sentence that spans 28 and 29, uh, that one sentence is, I think, certainly spiritually key. It certainly uh, fill, fulfills the requirements of a key verse. Uh, but either one uh, of those verses, 28 by itself or 29 by itself, certainly 29 by itself, doesn't fit. It certainly is not key uh, uh, in amongst itself. It, it doesn't even stand alone. Um, but then when you put those two together, it, it, they, it absolutely stands alone and is spiritually significant. So that's kind of how I, I look at those sorts of things. Yep. And moving on to finish this questions. These are kind of fun. So finish this begins in the middle of a verse 
uh, and it finishes at the end of the verse, and it, it must start at the beginning of a sentence or the beginning of a quotation. So, again, we don't have the whole history and backstory of why finish this questions got added, but I would guess that they are specifically um, most, they work best for narrative material, but when there's, um, you know, Jesus said to them, and then a quotation, you know, if even a little child comes to me in my name, um, something like that, where you don't want to start a finish the verse with Jesus answered or Jesus said to them, because there's not a whole lot of super significant information. And there might be many verses that start that way. And it could be that enough verses start that way with the same first five words that they're completely invalid to be a finish the verse at all. Um, but, and so that's what I think the purpose of finish this questions is, but still I've, I've run across finish the verse questions that have these words, like Jesus said to them up front. And I just, I wonder, like, did you ever think about why I finished this specific type was created in the first place? It's tailor-made for a situation like this. Um, and I don't know why verses of that structure wouldn't be written as a finish this. Um, and so I think that's where I would encourage question writers to really think about what's the purpose of this type. And if I'm trying to test the quizzers on a given verse, which type best tests this material? And I think for those narrative verses with introductory language to the quotation at the beginning of the verse, finish this is work, work great. Um, there are times where there's a sentence that starts a verse that's kind of eh, insignificant. And starting with that second sentence, it's really significant. And those are also times when you can write a finish this, if it, if it makes sense. By the way, if anyone wants to have a fun project, go research what the definition is for the beginning of a sentence. And if anyone comes up with anything, why don't you email it back to iq at cbqz.org because I am very, very interested. I've done a lot of research and come to um, no solid conclusions. Yeah, language is messy. It's a big a ball of goo. Yep, I expected the definition of a sentence to be based on punctuation, but it's really based on kind of flow and meaning and things that are not easily um, applicable to an objective rule book and um, 100% consistent question writing, unfortunately. But th those are just some of my thoughts about finish the verses and um, the specific types. I think that some some good discussion should be had about what interpretation of Kiever's questions provides the best test and the best experience to all quizzers, both in the district and at internationals. And for specific Keyverse question types like finish these two verses or finish this is, I think question writers should give a lot of thought into the intent behind the creation of those types and then apply them um, to the best of their ability to the material. All right, cool. So it looks like we're on to our question writing workshop, Griffin. Well, indeed. And uh, this is where I figured we could just start with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. It should be a chapter that we are all uh, very familiar with by this point in the quizzing season. And the whole uh, kind of the goal of this uh, workshop or, or the question writing uh, exercise that we want to go through is kind of twofold. I want to sort of demonstrate for folks how both Scott and I approach the practice of writing questions and in and I wanted to do it starting from a practical perspective of you know we talk a lot about it, the theoretical and we talk about the rule book a lot but I kind of wanted to start from a just a purely practical standpoint of saying we're going to take verse one see how many questions that we can get out of it and talk about what makes good questions and not good questions from verse one and then do that on verse two and continue for a few verses and then from there we'll kind of stretch our legs a little bit and go back into the into 
into the theoretical, but starting with that practical, practical so that you can see sort of a grounded idea of, of, of the practices that we're talking about. So with that said, we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 1 is a great place to start in chapter 1. So uh, I'll recite it, and then let's just kind of, I, I don't know, uh, Scott and I haven't gone through exactly how we're going to do this, so we'll just kind of play it by ear. But I'll, I'll read the verse, and then let's just start we'll, creating some questions out of this, this verse. So uh, chap, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, reads as follows. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, I think, or something like that. So, of course, it is very important to note that Sosthenes does not have to be pronounced correctly or indeed rapidly, um, which is good for me because I'm terrible at pronunciation. But the rest of this stuff, uh, we can pull some verses out of it. So, or so, sorry, pull, pull some uh, questions out of it. So the first one, of course, you know, when I start approaching a question like this, the sort of the first thing that I do is I kind of look at the question or I, I look at the verse in the context of just like what we were talking about, is it a key verse or not? Is it a two verse key? Uh, is it a two verse key or a single verse key? Uh, is it standing on its own? In this case, it is a not key verse. Uh, so I'm not going to be writing a quote or a finish this or a finish the verse or anything like that. So I'm limited here to this sort of the standard types, the standard interrogatives, chapter references, chapter verse references, multiple answers, that sort of stuff. So that's kind of the stuff that's sitting in my mind. And so as a, as a result, I'm going to start, I, I tend to start left to right and try to get as many good questions out of the material as possible. So I start here on the left-hand side of the verse, Paul. So uh, I know that Paul called is a two-word key phrase. So I can do something along the lines of saying Paul called to be what? Uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So that's a question and a and an answer that would be a standard question. Paul called becomes a two-word key phrase. Therefore, the question is key within the first five words. Uh, another one that kind of jumps out to me is uh, the word apostle is a key to the chapter. And I know that it also happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and in fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starts almost, uh, all, not quite, but almost the same as verse 1. And so uh, I could say uh, a chapter reference question uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, an apostle of whom? And uh, you could say, well, then Christ Jesus uh, is the answer. And then here's a, an interesting question then. So if the question is an apostle of whom, the answer is Christ Jesus, or do we include Christ Jesus by the will of God? And where do you, where do you draw the line in what is required uh, and what is not required in that answer? So in that particular scenario, um, Scott, what, where would you draw the line in terms of the cutoff for the, for the answer? So if I was writing the reference question, an apostle of whom, I would just cut the answer off um, at Christ Jesus, because I think it flows best when you're asking who to just get the Christ Jesus. But if I was writing that interrogative you started with, Paul called to be what, I might include an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, even though it's totally valid to write it with um, just Paul called to be what, an apostle, or just an apostle of Christ Jesus or including all an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Yeah, I completely agree. I the reason I would write the interrogative to include all the way to the end of by the will of God is because each of those phrases uh lean or or they describe something 
and clarify something that happens just before. So of Christ Jesus clarifies apostle by the will of God, clarifies the word called, right? Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, called how by the will of God. And in fact, you could even do, this would be a horrible question from my perspective because uh, for a number of reasons, but let's say, let, put, putting the fact that it's a horrible question and confusing off to the side for uh, for a moment, Paul called how uh, really would be Paul called by the will of God, but but please don't write that question because it's awfully confusing. Um, or I don't know, Scott, do you think it's awfully confusing? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I would, I would not write it because it, it, but, but, but practically, logically, that's where the by the will of God comes from. So if I'm saying Paul called to what, uh, then it's like, okay, an apostle by, uh, uh, of Christ Jesus by the will of God end right there, that makes a lot of sense. If it's apostle of whom, by the will of God is sort of out of, not out of context, but it's beyond the scope of the of the question being asked, if that makes any sense. Yep. And I think I'm, I'm going to be much more, um, I guess, inclusive or liberal when I'm writing interrogative questions, um, when I'm in deciding what material to include in the answer, because I do like to test the quizzers on a good amount of information and not have a one-word answer. And I think it's totally clear in this case for Paul called to be what? To ask them or require them to give you an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But if I was writing that chapter reference, an apostle of whom, um, or deciding how to write it, uh, I would just limit it at Christ Jesus because if a quizzer is quoting and waiting for me to prompt them, if I don't prompt them at the end of an apostle of Christ Jesus and then they say by the will of God and I say, what's your question? They're, pro they're much more likely to say something like an apostle of Christ Jesus by what? or something of that nature, as opposed to an apostle of whom. And so I try to write, especially on reference questions, um, a very clear question. And in fact, an apostle of Christ Jesus by uh, whom, or by what, sorry, an apostle of Christ Jesus by what is a valid uh, chapter reference question, because those phrases exist in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 as well. So it's, it's a bit long, for a chapter reference question typically, but it, it is completely valid. So yeah, it's a very good point there. Another and you could act, you, and Griffin, you could actually write an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and whom? Yes, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> our, our brother, uh, Sosthenes and our, uh, uh, and Timothy, our brother. So then, uh, staying in, in verse one here for just a little bit more, uh, we can, grab a couple of other questions. So another chapter reference question, our brother who uh, would be one. Uh, let's see. And I like the form of that question a lot better than say brother whom. Um, what brother is okay, but because our brother is still a chapter um, chapter reference question, I think it flows really well. And I would write our brother whom. Yeah, it, 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 I like it for those reasons. It, I, I like it because it invokes more of what a quizzer will have actually memorized. Um, what brother is, uh, it, it works, but it's sort of, with the interrogative in front, it's a little bit interruptive, mentally interruptive. Um, you know, you're, you're searching around for the one word of brother. Our brother kind of, exactly what you said, it flows. It's what somebody's actually memorized already. They should be able to pick it up straight away. And of course, it's a, a valid uh, chapter reference question. So is there anything else you think we can pull out of verse one? Well, I see a chapter verse reference probably, the will of whom? The will of God. And what I would do is I would search that in material, and I see that 
the will of appears three times, and every single time the answer is God. And because of that, I probably would not write this as a reference question because I don't think that's a very good test um, when the answer is the same in all three places. Yeah, agreed. It's a great cross-reference question, but we do not have those. So uh, I would also skip that question. Although, um, especially at a level like internationals when the quizzes are jumping on just the reference, um, I may be more liberal about the types of questions I, I, I would include um, because the quizzer still has to – Recall the, the whole verse based on just the reference, quote it within 30 seconds, and isolate that verse. And so to me, it's still a really good test, even if the will of God is the same phrase that appears three times. But say within a district where the quizzer might be jumping on the beginning of that phrase, I think it's much less of a test. Yeah. All right. Well, then uh, looking in verse two here, verse two reads as follows to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and our. So, Scott, what are some of the questions that jump out at you, uh, jump out at you uh, from verse two? Well, right off the bat, nothing. Um, there's only one unique word, and that's ours, the last word in the verse. And I don't think there's really any way to incorporate that word into a question. You just can't do it. Um, so I, I jump back to the beginning of the verse. And, well, actually, Griffin, when I'm writing questions, I write them by type. So um, it would depend if I'm in reference mode or interrogative mode. But if I'm in interrogative mode, I would look for those little unique phrases in there. So I, I would say, to those sanctified how – um, in Christ Jesus, or together with all those everywhere who what, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and those would probably be the interrogatives I target. Interesting. Yeah, I write a little bit differently. I go verse by verse, and I try to find um, as many you know legitimate, reasonable questions that can come out of there. But I'm not necessarily I'm I'm not going you know type by type. I'm just going verse by verse through. Um, some of the stuff that sort of pops out at me, uh, kind of working backwards a little bit. Um, a chapter. A multiple answer chapter only reference verse their what uh, their Lord and ours uh, kind of jumps out at me. Um, if I want to be really evil, um, a chapter verse reference to who or uh, or to what? No, I guess to who. Although that's probably too evil of a of a question. Yeah, I don't think it's clear enough to write. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got the twos in a couple of places, like to the Church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, and called to be his holy people together. Yeah. I don't know. The, it's, first, it's, the first two times um, it's asking for nouns, but then the last time it's tied up in a verb to be. And so I, it, it's a little murky to include those three together. It is murky. It's also just a – it's really, really tight. The other thing is uh, – you know, if somebody jumps on the reference, where am I going to call the question uh, or where am I going to call the answer complete so that they can get back to the two? Uh, that's going to be tricky. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, if a reference question is a multiple answer, I will lower my standards for quality because I think that um, they are easier to pick out. Um, and so even if like – so in this case, if to what is a chapter verse reference multiple answer, I might write it because the quizzer knows they have to write it. They have to come up with a question that has multiple answers, but I would never write it as um, like a single chapter verse reference. Yeah. And there's a lot of chapter – there's a lot of non-multiple answer, just regular chapter reference questions that can get pulled out of here. Um, sanctified in who, together with who, 
uh, let's see, call on what would actually be a, a standard question. Call on is a two-word key phrase. So call on uh, what the name of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And be careful, sanctified in is also a unique phrase. Yeah, yeah, sanctified in who? Uh, Christ Jesus. So it might be a, a little bit tough, but you could write sanctified how as a chapter reference. It would be a bummer if the quizzer did give you sanctified in whom, though. Yeah, yeah. I might for that one. I might just make it simpler because I mean again, we're 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 selecting question types to try to evoke the 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 quality of memorization coming out of the material. How do how best do you test the memorization of the material? And so I might lean more in that area of the verse. I might lean more towards an interrogative to those sanctified in whom or to those sanctified how or something like that to just sort of bypass the getting the question uh, response from the quizzer. Uh, necessary from a reference question. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to pull out of verse two? Not really. I don't see anything else. Okay. Let's skip a little bit. Um, we'll do one more before we move on to theoretical here. Uh, is there a particular verse that kind of cries out for lots of interesting questions? Uh, verse 11, maybe. Yeah, let's do, okay, so 11. So 11 reads as follows. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And of course, you know, I even as I'm reading this, there are certain very easy, straightforward, interrogative questions that just sort of scream to be written here. Quarrels, where, in, uh, informed, who, although that's a horrible question because the answer just me is way too simple. Um, Chloe's what? Um, let's see. Chapter, verse reference, multiple answer, my what? Brothers and yep. sisters? Yep, so I don't think that's a really strong reference question, but the fact that it's a multiple answer is a reason that I would write it. Yeah. Um, I think the interrogative, who have informed me that there are quarrels among you, is kind of one of my favorite structures of a question. So it's an interrogative. It does start with a W, but it's unique on the two-and-a-half-syllable mark for a quizzer who has studied. Um, and there is some length to the answer. So it's not just who have informed. Um, it's who have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Uh, and so there's, I think it's a really good test of the material. Not all quizzers would get it correct. And that's kind of the way that we want to write questions. We want to write a range of difficulty of questions so that um, quizzers of different preparedness and execution levels have the ability to identify themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in that regard, you can have the same beginning of a question happen, uh, you know, a couple of different ways or more than a couple of different ways, each one testing a different area of the material or scope of the material or or the amount of, of memorization uh, from a quizzer. So, for example, some from what would be, you know, is is key off the second word, some from a, uh, a two word key phrase, I think. Let me just double check that from. Yeah. So some from is a two word key phrase. So some from what Chloe's household, or you could say some from Chloe's household have what, or some from Chloe's household have, I mean, well, yeah, that would be the end of it. Because then, because once you say, say, uh, some from Chloe's household have what, the answer leads to the end of the, of the, the end of the verse there informed me that there are quarrels among you. Uh, but there's different ways that you could write 
questions like that that start the same way, but where you drop that interrogative or where you end your question evokes a different, a, a smaller or lengthier amount of material from the quizzer uh, answering and can evoke a separation, a little bit of a memorization and a lot more preparation. So it, re it rewards uh, greater amounts of preparation. Yep, I, I try to write a variety of question um, structures and difficulties and not try to buttonhole myself into one because some might think that who have informed me is kind of a difficult way to start a question, and it might be relative to the average question difficulty, but I think that's a great one to write. But I'd also write a question like Chloe's what, where it's very simple. There's a one-word answer. The, the only word in the question is unique, so it's key very fast. Um, I think you write both. And you let randomness decide when they come up in a quiz. And quizzers that are the best studied and the most consistent in their jumping pace will come out ahead, even if for a given question or a given quiz, um, they don't because of lack of luck. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other thing, have we, we haven't talked about quoting chapter verse reference questions backwards uh, yet, have we? Because, um, I mean, chapter or, uh, verse 11 here has a perfect example of that. Um, uh, you know, chapter verse reference on 11 that start, there are what? Uh, yeah, but I'm failing to see how quoting backwards helps you. Oh, you're just saying if you started from the beginning of the verse, you might not know in this case. Yeah, if it, it would be difficult. Well, in that case... There are right. That's true because I mean, yeah. Where does it? Where does the? Where does the question begin? If you start from the beginning of the verse, if only if only the reference comes out at eleven, and you start quoting from the beginning of the verse, you get to the end quarrels among you because you have to get to the end to answer the question. Then how do you get to your question? Whereas if you start quoting from the end, you know, among you quarrels among you. Uh, there are quarrels among you. What's your question? Okay, there are what? It becomes a lot more obvious. It does become a lot more obvious. So the principle there is. If you quote from the end of the verse back in chunks, it makes it much easier to identify the part of the verse that the quiz master wants you to form your question from. Um, there are there are other strategies if you're if you know the material super well and have looked at lists and you know the end of the verse has just a bunch of unique words and I'm going to say the therefore what or in the same way what or what is written. Go for those really clear ones. You can totally just jump right to that if you know what you're doing to that extent. But for the majority of quizzers on chapter verse reference and chapter reference questions or chapter verse reference questions, you're going to want to start at the end of the verse and say, there are quarrels among you. And if you're not prompted, you keep going back. And if you say Chloe's household and then you're prompted, well, it's probably what household or whose household. Um, and if you're not prompted there, you keep going back and it kind of it helps um, limit the amount of material that you have to form a question from. Indeed. All right, well, let's move a little bit into some theoretical stuff. Um, Scott, you've got a couple of notes written down here for our show notes. Why don't you uh, go through those there? So we actually – we unwittingly made the perfect segue into this topic, Griffin, because this, this topic is – We planned it. We totally planned it. Everybody, it was planned. Okay, it was planned. How much, <laughs> how much information to include in answers? So we dealt with this when we were writing question one, if you remember. Um, Paul called to be what? Well, you could – the question writer could say – I just want the answer to be an apostle, and that's totally valid, right? Um, the question writer could say, "I want you to, I want the whole answer to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God." Also, totally valid. So then the question, so the first statement is, question writers have a, a good amount of latitude, um, still writing valid questions, but they have latitude of how much information to include in the answer because the nature of the English language is is there are clauses and there are modifiers and there's information that 
can go with information before it, but is it necessary, right? Is it absolutely necessary? So then the question, Griffin, is I'm a quiz master, and I ask the question, Paul called to be what? And a quizzer, and my card says I need to require an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And the quizzer just gets an apostle of Christ Jesus. Should I say, hey, like they've answered my question, I think fine enough. Um, the question writer kind of asked for more information than I would have. I'm just going to call them correct. No. So as much as I would want to call a quizzer correct, and, and certainly I, I know uh, the vast majority of, of quiz masters uh, ha- have a strong bias uh, towards calling people correct because they want to call them correct, uh, because we want to be encouraging. Uh, in that particular case, the only time I would override what's written on a question is if I if I if it wasn't a subjective or on the fence sort of ruling. So like I this for the ver and part of it is the verse that you you quoted there, verse one to me, like I would not end the question at Christ Jesus myself. I would include by the will of God. So I I would be in agreement with the question writer anyway. But even if I disagree, I would have to have some sort of very compelling reason why I disagree. So for example, if the question that I had was Paul called uh, to be what, and the answer that was written on the card goes to the end of the verse, I would look at that and go, well, okay, the last four uh, words of that verse don't make any sense. They they don't connect with the Paul called to be what. Um, they don't actually answer uh, Paul called to be what. Uh, they don't modify uh, or or add information to Paul called to be what. So I would be I would drop those if they were written on my card because I would feel that otherwise the the question or the answer for the question as written on the card would be invalid. But beyond that, uh, it, it's sort of at the time of reciting the question, I'm sort of in in quizmaster mode. It, it takes sort of a lot for it to kind of cross the line for me. It it really has to get to the point uh, where I would throw out the question before I would modify it, I think. I feel the same way, but I think it, it is a key point to make that you just made. There is information that can be on the card required in the answer that you would strike, right? Because you don't think it is required and you don't think it goes. So the quiz master should be on the lookout for it's Paul called to be what? That whole first part makes a lot of sense, but the Our Brother Sosthenes doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to make the quizzers say the part that makes no sense. Like that's totally fine because I think that's for more or less objective that it's not required. But for the rest of it, the an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, I think there's subjectivity there about what's the best amount of information to include. Um, and as long as there's some subjectivity, once I'm a quiz master, I'm not going to be making those subjective decisions on the fly. Uh, I remember a, a time at internationals, um, the verse in question was from Acts 19. And the verse is a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And the question, I think, was, what silversmith? And the quizzer had gotten a silversmith named Demetrius, but hadn't gotten the who made silver shrines of Artemis. And I think, I, I seem to recall this was from a different verse with a lot more modifying adjective Demetrius. But anyway, the quizzer was called incorrect because the quizmaster needed a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. And the quizzer challenged on the basis that what silversmith just asks for the person. And when I said Demetrius, that fulfilled the interrogative that you were using. Or it, maybe it was a silversmith named whom, which eh, maybe that could be a little bit. But anyway, the, the officials table took 
maybe five minutes to deliberate on what I thought was um, a very, very clear ruling that, nope, all this information can totally be required, and I'm not changing it right now. Um, and so I think there there sometimes are disagreements about what's both how much should the quiz master be exercising that kind of judgment um, and what is subjective versus um, objective as to what material can be required in an answer. Okay, so that'll wrap up at least the question writing work, uh, workshop for this particular uh, podcast. But before we close, I want to remind everybody in the Pacific Northwest that, of course, and, and theoretically you already know this, at least you should, that we have a quiz meet this Friday, uh, four days away uh, in Madras, Oregon. Yay, quiz meet. Uh, everybody show up and drive safely. And Scott, when should everybody be showing up? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot, but I believe announcements are at 7.05, as they usually are, So, which means you should probably be there at about 5.30. What do you think, Griffin? Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. Always plan for, you know, getting there a little bit early. Uh, you never know what traffic is going to be, uh, depending upon what route you're going to take to get there for a lot of teams. This is going to be a considerable drive, so you know coaches take that into account. If you're going to be taking, say, the the I-5 corridor through Portland, uh, please be aware that uh, traffic can be uh, crazy and nuts and horrible and worse than than you might predict. So you know just please keep that uh, in mind as you are traversing. Uh, for others. Uh, Corvallis uh, probably just, I don't know if there's a road, they probably can just cross straight across the, the mountains and get over there uh, faster than just about anybody else. So uh, they're in luck this particular time around. Uh, but anyway, uh, everybody drives safely and it'll be fantastic to see everybody. This will be our last regular meet of the season. And then from here, at the end of the meet, uh, Scott will go up and announce the folks who have qualified for Great West, or at least I think we're going to attempt to do that. And then there'll be a Great West meeting uh, closing at the end or right after the close of the uh, quiz meet. And then uh, we will have Great West. And then following Great West is championships. And following championships is internationals. Woohoo! Woohoo! All right. Well, then, uh, as uh, Scott mentioned, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, paranoia, or theological questions, and of course, theological questions sort of satisfies all of the previous criteria I just listed, please email them to iq at cbqz.org if you have any sort of feedback on stuff that Scott should uh, create in his Python project, uh, please email iq at cbqz.org. If you have any feedback about the CBQZ app, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Or questions that you would like us to uh, go over in future episodes of the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Inside Quizzing. And with that, I have no closing. Actually, Scott, why don't you close us? I've got no closing either, Griffin. Oh, no, I didn't prepare anything. Well, anyway, I would uh, ask that God please bless each and every one of us and keep us safe as we are traversing uh, for some very long distances to be able to get to this very exciting uh, quiz meet uh, this weekend. Uh, thanks, everybody, and thanks, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. See you all later. <laughs>